You're listening to the Grace Church Podcast, a weekly podcast dedicated to bringing you biblical guidance to life's most important issues. We want to thank you for joining us for this week's message. We pray you find strength and encouragement as we learn from God's truth together. For more information, go to visitgracechurch.com. I do want to wish everyone a very happy Easter, happy Resurrection Weekend. Maybe you're at our Olathe campus at Prairie Creek Elementary. Uh, Maybe you're at our Overland Park campus uh, in the venue or in the auditorium or you're somewhere else in this world and you find yourself in Kansas City or in, you know, California or Kuwait, like wherever you're at in this world. Uh, We're so honored to have you with us this Resurrection Weekend. And we really do hope this, that you sense love. And that you sense acceptance. Because that's Christ in us. He offers love and acceptance. Like whatever your belief system is, whatever your background is. That's our hope today. And so uh, I heard an interesting story recently. I want to start with this. There's a man named Dr. Charles Foster. Uh, This Dr. Charles Foster is very smart and very tough. He's very smart. He has a PhD from Cambridge. He teaches at Oxford. He's a practicing lawyer and a practicing veterinarian. So he's pretty smart. He's also pretty tough. He ran a 150-mile marathon through the African desert. So he's kind of smart. He's kind of tough. Anyway, this professor slash lawyer slash veterinarian uh, loves animals so much. He's a vet. And he wanted to solve a problem uh, regarding animals, but he did so in a way that just doesn't make sense. And when you hear this in a second, you're going to think, man, what was he thinking? That doesn't make sense. Uh, more on that in just a moment. We're going to be in Psalm 22 today. Psalm 22, if you want to o- open your Bible or uh, go online to our message notes, Psalm 22. Our ushers have Bibles in all of our locations. You can get one if you raise your hand, get a hold of those. Psalm 22. <clears throat> and so, Dr. Charles Foster, what was the problem that Dr. Charles Foster was wanting to solve? He really loved animals. It's this problem. How do animals experience the world? Think about that. Okay, so how do animals feel differently than us? How do they think differently than us? So he decided to find out in a way that just doesn't make sense. He lived like a badger for six weeks. Oh, yes, for six weeks, he lived like a badger. He changed everything to understand how animals think and feel. He changed where he lived. I mean, he suffered. He dug a 15-foot hole in the ground and slept in that hole every day in the daytime, just like a badger, for six weeks. And then he hunted at night, every night for six weeks, like a badger. He changed how he lived. And so badgers have very limited eyesight. He blindfolded himself and would crawl out of his hole every night to hunt one inch off the ground to navigate the forest by scent, just like a badger. And then he changed what he ate. So a badger, 85% of a badger's diet is worms. So 85% of his diet became worms. And he wrote this for six weeks, by the way. He wrote this. He said, raw worms taste of slime and the land, is what he said. That, my friends, does not make sense. In addition, the other 15% of his diet was things like this. Squirrel scraped off the road and cooked with garlic. And he wrote a book about this experience. A book about it is called Being a Beast. In his book, he records what he actually thought. If you can get that book, you can read what he actually thought 
and lived and suffered when he lived life differently. He lived life like a badger. Now, solving a problem this way, let's be honest, it just doesn't make sense. Uh, and yet, that's the story of Easter. That is the story of Easter. Because 2,000 years ago, God was wanting to solve a problem. Here was the problem God wanted to solve. How do I reconcile humans to me? I mean, God loves humans infinitely. He wanted to fix the broken relationship, restore the broken relationship. Sin had broken. And here's the thing. God knew people are in trouble. They're in trouble. Someone's going to pay for your sins. Either you're going to pay for your own sins or attempt to pay them forever and ever and ever. Or he could pay them for you. And so he wanted to solve this problem. So he thought, man, I'm a God who loves people. I love people completely. But I'm also shockingly fair. No one gets away with anything. I have to be fair. And so he said, I, I, I know what to do. I, I'll, I'll become a human. You know, I'll do that. In fact, he pulled a Dr. Charles Foster. And so he changed where he lived, like Dr. Foster did. He changed how he lived. He lived as Jesus. He went to the cross for us. And when you think about the cross, the cross doesn't make sense. Like who would come up with this solution, sending your son to die for people who hate you, but you love them? Who would come up with this? God did. And he wrote a book about it. Like if you can get a hold of this book, you can actually read the very thoughts of Jesus on the cross. What was he thinking and feeling and suffering? Just like Dr. Charles wrote about. And we find that, by the way, in Psalm 22. In Psalm 22, it is amazing. You find the very thoughts of Jesus on the cross written a thousand years before Jesus by a man named David who had no idea what was going on, but he was predicting thought after thought of what Jesus would feel like when he lived life on the cross. And so we're actually starting a brand new series this weekend. Our series is called When God Doesn't Make Sense. We all know, don't you know, sometimes God doesn't make sense? I mean, there are times when in my most difficult moments, hard times in my life, or when God was letting things go on and they didn't make sense to me. And so if that ever has been a question in your head, come the next four weeks as we unpack thought after thought, like, yeah, God, you don't make sense sometimes. That's the next few weeks. But today is when, when the cross didn't make sense. I mean, the cross, when you think about it, just doesn't make sense. We're going to see in Psalm 22, four thoughts, four thoughts that Jesus had as he's wrestling on the cross. He's hanging on the cross. He's got bloody, broken face, body ripped to shreds, hanging there, crown of thorns, naked, crowd around him. And he's thinking, this doesn't make sense. And that doesn't make sense. He's absolutely right. Doesn't make sense. So let's go ahead and pray. I'm so excited, by the way. This is the passage that years ago for me as a 19-year-old sophomore that was shown to me. And the prophecy after prophecy after prophecy, the love and the suffering and the victory led me at 19 to surrender my life to Jesus. So I can't wait to share this with you as well. So let's pray. God, I just pray right now that you would open people's eyes to this incredible passage of Jesus, what you thought actually on the cross. But this was written a thousand years before you, before you came to this world. It's an amazing story. It brings us into the pain. We feel your pain with you. We see the crowd with you. 
We sense this cross suffering with you. Bring this to life, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, a couple things as we begin this psalm, Psalm 22. This was written by King David. <clears throat> Before he was a king, he was actually on a miserable day. King David was a songwriter. He was a journaler. And so he sat down one day, he's like, my life is miserable. And so he starts writing, my life is miserable. And he goes back and forth. You're going to see struggle and then faith. I don't want to be led by my feelings. Struggle with this thought that makes sense. And then faith. You'll see that. And unbeknownst to him, a thousand years before Jesus, he's writing words down that Jesus would think a thousand years later. And so that's what we're going to look at. Here's the first of four thoughts that Jesus thought because the cross just doesn't make sense. What's the first thought that Jesus had on the cross? God has forsaken me. That's what he thought. God himself has abandoned me. God's ignored me. God's left me. And it doesn't make sense. And it didn't make sense because here's Jesus with this relationship with God, the Father, from eternity past that was always close. He was always there from and now in suffering when he cries out, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's silence. Do you realize how much Jesus loves you to suffer being forsaken by God? He's taking our place. We would have been forsaken by God. He's taking that for us. You see this, by the way, in verse 1, Psalm 22, verse 1, when he says this, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's actually one of the seven statements Jesus makes when he's on the cross. There are seven recorded statements on the cross. That is one of them, verbatim, written a thousand years before Jesus. My God, why have you left me? Why have you abandoned me? And then in the next thought, you read what he didn't say, what he kept thinking on the inside. Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Like, why are you so far from me? If you look over in Matthew 27, we'll see this fulfilled. Matthew 27, 45 and 46. When Jesus was crucified, he was crucified at nine in the morning. It was a beautiful sunny day. People didn't have cable TV. They didn't have internet. So they used to go watch crucifixions, picnic baskets for fun. That's what they did. There was nothing else to do. So they did that. And so there they are. Jesus, two thieves, they're gathered there. It's a bright, sunny day. He's crucified, nailed to the cross, 9 a.m. It's sunny until noon. And at noon, the three hours from noon to three are when Jesus paid for our sins. So God blackened the sky like it's night. Like people feel that when they're far from God. It's darkness. There's no light. And you see this, by the way. At verse 45, now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, from noon to three, there was darkness over all the land. And about the ninth hour, about 3 p.m., Jesus cried out with a loud voice, one of the seven statements recorded on the cross, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He cried the very words. That David had written. Do you realize how much Jesus loves you? To feel that for you. Forsaken by God. Jump back to Psalm 22 verse 2. You see what else he thought. Here you see this prediction by the way. Of the light and darkness at the crucifixion. Oh my God. I cry in the daytime. There's 9 a.m. to noon. Bright sunny day. But you do not hear. And in the night season. There's this supernaturally darkened sky. 
and I'm not silent. The horror of being forsaken by God. Jesus felt. Now, you say, why would he do that, by the way? Why would he do that? Because he loves you so much. He did this to his son. He, he sent his son to the cross and he took your sins. Think of every sin you've ever committed. Somebody has to pay for your sins. Think of every lie you've ever told in your life. Who's going to pay for that? Every time you've ever deceived anybody, told a white lie, shaved, hedged on the truth, that's a sin. Every time you've ever stolen in your life, every time you've ever lusted in your life, every time you've ever broken your word, you gave your word, your word is your bond, you broke that. That is a sin. Who's paying for that? Every time you ever gossiped, you've ever backstabbed, ever been unfair, ever hated somebody, ever acted unethically, ever acted without love, ever acted without faith, sin, sin, sin. Who's paying for that? He put your sins on the cross. He darkened the sky, poured out your judgment, and he turned his back on his son. No! My God, why have you forsaken me? Because of you. That's why he forsaken him. Because he loves you and he loves me. It's amazing. Guys, do you really, I mean, you see the story. He goes back and forth. He has faith. Look at verse 3 and 4. Jesus on the cross struggling with, but I know who you are, God, verse 3 and 4. But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted, and you delivered them. You know, what about me? Guys, do you realize, here's the question I have for you, how much Jesus loves you so much. He loves you so much, but he's got to be fair with you as well. Do you realize he suffered this? God has forsaken me. And it doesn't make sense. Can you picture his shattered body there and the hopelessness in his soul? So you wouldn't feel someday hopeless. So at the cross, the cross doesn't make sense. Who would come up with this solution? Sending your son to die for enemies. Well, so there's another thought Jesus had when he's on the cross. It just doesn't make sense. What was he thinking? A second thought is this. People despise me. People, Jesus thought, literally hate my guts. They hate me. And it doesn't make sense. I mean, it doesn't make sense on many levels. Here's Jesus who created people. You realize Jesus created people in the universe? He created you. He loves you. He's got this plan for you. He wants a relationship with you. And he comes to this world because you're in danger. People you love are in danger, come to this world, and he's responded with hatred. I despise you. I can't stand you. Die already. You see how much he loves you? You see this, by the way, down in verse 6. Psalm 22, verse 6 says, But I am a worm and no man. Like, I am the lowest form of life. A reproach of men and despised by the people. That's what he was thinking. If you take that word worm, by the way, I am a worm. It's one of the most horrific and true Bible studies in Scripture. You can write down Isaiah 66, write down Mark 9, Isaiah 66, Mark 9. What do people feel like in hell? Like a worm. There's even implications that they physically are like worms in hell. Horrifying. Why, why would that? He's suffering the payment of hell. 
so nobody else would have to. That's what he was doing. Then he looks around. Can you picture him looking around at the crowd, screaming, calling out to the shattered man? Verse 7 and 8. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying, he trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. I mean, the crowd is making fun of him. That was a prophecy as well. Matthew 27, 41 to 43, the priests, the crowd mocking and challenging to get off the cross. If God loves you, he'll save you. People hated his guts. I want you to picture this. What does it feel like to be Jesus on the cross? So I want you to picture in your mind the group of people in the world that you love the most. So get in your mind right now. Think of the various people, different segments of your life. Who do you love the most in this world? Get their faces in your mind. You love them the most. Okay. Now, I want you to imagine that they're in mortal danger. They're going to die. You know they're going to die. And so you go to help those people in, in your head. You love them the most. And they respond by hatred. Get out of here. We don't want your help. We hate your guts. It would not make sense. People you love the most and you're trying to help. Hating your guts, wanting you to die. And we want you to suffer as you die. That's what Jesus was feeling at the cross. I mean, do you realize how much Jesus loves you? He was willing to suffer this thought. People despise me. I mean, pure hatred from those that I love and came to help. It just didn't make sense. I mean, the cross didn't make sense. What was Jesus thinking on the cross? And another thing he's thinking is, this also doesn't make sense, by the way. He was thinking this, I, I am being crucified. Me. And that doesn't make sense. You see, I am the son of God. I am holy and I'm being crucified by you people. I am a person who is absolutely innocent. I've never committed a single sin in my life. Haven't been tempted every way you're tempted. I am. I've never committed a sin and I'm with two guilty men. I'm being crucified. This doesn't make sense. And in the next section, you see, it's almost like Jesus with his shattered body. You can just picture his nails in his hands and his feet. They used to crucify. They twisted your body sideways and lowered you. You're kind of on the ground like this. He's hanging there. You kind of lift up and lift down. Black eyes, sh- uh, shredded back, blood, broke, I mean, broken, uh, I mean, hair pulled out, spit upon, crown of thorns, shattered. It's like at this point, Jesus looks around and takes, assesses how horrifying the physical torture of crucifixion is. And you hear him feeling it. This is verse 14, by the way. Verse 14, he says this. I am poured out like water. That's his sweat-drenched body. You know, when you sweat, you're pouring yourself out through your sweat glands. When, when I run, by the way, uh, in summertime, I, have, I, I know I have at least one gift. I have the gift of sweat. Because when I run in the summer, I am covered in sweat when I get back. It looks like someone dumped a Gatorade uh, container on me. I'm absolutely covered. You know what it looks like? I am poured out like water. Can you picture his body? Absolutely sweat drenched. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. 
all my bones out of joint. Every joint hurts. Every joint hurts. My heart is like wax, my strength. It is melted within me. Strength uh, seeping away. He is dying. This doesn't make sense. You see, dehydration, verse 15. My strength is dried up like a pot shirt, a shard of pottery, that dry. My tongue clings to my jaws. Absolutely dehydrated. It's also, by the way, John 19, 28, one of the other statements Jesus makes, the seven statements on the cross, he cries out, I thirst. Why? That's what people say when they're suffering forever and ever. I thirst. His tongue cleaves the roof of his mouth. He says, you have brought me to the dust of death. And he looks at the crowds through those bloody eyes. For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Okay, that's amazing. Uh, This is an amazing prophecy that's in Jewish Bibles. People who have no interest in preserving the truth of Christianity, it's there. Go check it out. What the amazing thing about that? David's writing this. He's like, yeah, oh, I'm so hurting so bad 3,000 years ago. Oh, yeah, they pierced my hands and my feet. No, they didn't. David, no one's nailed your hands and feet. What are you talking about? He has no idea what he's writing. Crucifixion wasn't invented yet. It wasn't for several hundred years that the Persians would invent crucifixion, which the Romans said, that's a good idea. We'll use crucifixion. David's right. is no way. Oh, they pierced my hands and my feet. No, they didn't. That's a prophecy. A thousand years beforehand, when Jesus' hands and feet were pierced. You can't make this stuff up. You can't make it up. It's amazing. He's naked. He's hanging, looking at his bones, counting his ribs. I can count all my bones. Yeah, they strip you naked, hang you like that. You can count all your bones. They look and stare at me. And then the Roman soldiers, they divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. They're making a game out of his death. Hey, who wants the, <clears throat> who wants the clothing? <laughs> Come on, baby. Seven. Come on, we can do it. They're making a game. They're mocking, making a game out of his death. And none of this, none of this makes sense. Do you realize Jesus loves you so much? He was willing to endure this thought for you. I am being crucified. There he is. Being challenged to get off the cross. And he could have. But he stayed for you. It made no sense. He created people. He loved people. He came for them. He was totally innocent. It was these kinds of prophecies that led me as a 19-year-old sophomore. It got my attention. Like, I wasn't that spiritual. I chased a hot girl in a church. That's how I got to church. I didn't get it in flyer. I didn't drive by the church. I didn't check the, you know, the internet. I chased my hot girlfriend into church. And then I found myself studying the Bible. Couldn't believe I was seeing. You see, I was baptized as a kid, and I wasn't a Christian. I prayed to Jesus, and I wasn't a Christian. I asked for forgiveness of things, and I wasn't a Christian. I would attend church and not be a Christian. I would call myself a Christian, and I wasn't a Christian. How about that? Like, I never knew you had to personally surrender your life to Jesus. I will never forget being at a Bible study. I was sitting there. It was a Wednesday night. Like, I started to go to church. I started to enjoy the Bible. I'm not a Christian yet. I'm like, what's wrong with me? I used to make fun of people like you. 
Now I look like people like you. What am I thinking? And I found myself in this Bible study, and there was this moment when, at the end of it, that the uh, Bible study teacher had every head bowed, every eye closed, and, and he said, hey, if anybody here wants to receive Jesus, raise your hand. There's a huge battle inside me. Do you realize how much Jesus loves you? This is his plan to reach you. I have a fourth thought to share with you that Jesus had on the cross. Here's what he thought. I will rescue people this way. Here's what Jesus thought on the cross. The, the tone changes. It's positive. When people bow the knee, when they confess me as Lord, when they accept my gift of salvation, this is how I'm going to rescue people. And it's not going to make sense. I mean, the cross doesn't naturally make sense to people. It's as weird as if someone dug a hole and lived like a badger for six weeks and suffered and then wrote a book about it so you can hear what he feels about that. I mean, who would come up with this idea? I mean, what if uh, I have an 18-year-old son. His name is Jacob. I want you to pretend there's somebody in the world who hates my guts, hates me. I know it could never happen, but they hate me. I'm joking. They hate my guts. They hate me. They hate my son. They hate my family. Hate me. And then what if that person who hates me goes on a crime spree? Let's get out there. Society's outraged. This has to be dealt with and judged. A crime. They're found out. They're arrested. They're sentenced. They're put in jail. They're on death row. Would it make sense to you if I go to my 18-year-old son, Jacob, and say, Jacob, this man is about to die for crimes he did commit. He deserves it. I know, Dad. And he hates us. I know he does. I'm going to ask you to do something. I need you to go take his place. Dad, my whole life's ahead of me. I'm only 18. His only chance is you. I'm going to ask you to go check in, take his place on death row, and be killed. But dad, they hate you. They hate me. I know it. He doesn't even want that. I know it. But we love him. Who would come up with this idea? That's God's plan. And he says, well, dad, how, how do I know if we, should, if, if we should do this? If he believes, you'll offer it to him. And you'll give it to him. But if he doesn't believe, you'll still go through it. Maybe somebody else will believe. That's my plan. And then as you see, the tone changes. In the middle of the psalm, David's miserable. Oh, miserable. My faith, misery. And he's like, hey, everything, every prayer is answered. And you have a picture of the resurrection here. As he thinks, joy, hope, resurrection. Look what it says here. David's writing this. Jesus is thinking this down in verse 21. I love the tone changes. It's all positive after this moment. The resurrection power. Verse 21. Save me from the lion's mouth. And from the horns of the wild oxen, you have answered me. My prayers are answered. Or as Jesus said on the cross, John 19, it is finished. Suffering finished. Sin payment finished. Hope finished. Hope, joy. What took these guys? This is the resurrection power. What took these guys who were cowards? I'll say it. The disciples were cowards. Huddled in their locked room, depressed, miserable, no one believing Jesus would rise. What took those cowards and made them courageous? 
They actually saw Jesus over and over. He was risen. He was risen. Ten times, the Bible records, he visited individuals and groups. Daytime and nighttime. Inside and outside. Ten times proving Jesus was alive. Hope restored. Joy is back. Jesus has risen. Sins forgiven. And they went out there and they told the story. And when people converted... Their lives were worse and they didn't care because Jesus was alive. And you see Jesus on the cross and in his resurrection now picturing Jews hearing this story, bowing the knee. Gentiles, non-Jewish people hearing this story. And you're going to see you in this story. You're at the end of Psalm 22. Did you realize? Look what he says. Verse 23. Jesus picturing in his resurrection, Jews hearing this story and saying yes to Jesus. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him and fear him. There's the good news of Christ. All you offspring of Israel. Jesus pictured a day when the Jewish people would hear about the Messiah coming and they'd bow the knee and receive Jesus as Messiah. He pictured non-Jewish people like me. Verse 27. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord I did that. That's me at the age of 19. I was a non-Jewish person remembering what Jesus did and turning to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. And then Jesus pictures us at the end of this chapter. Verse 31. Here's you. They will come and declare his righteousness. The fact that he's totally just. That nobody gets away with anything. But he took your place so he could be just. And the justifier of you, just and the savior of you, declare his righteousness to a people who will be born, that's you, that he has done this. That, my friends, is the story of Easter. Here's what Jesus thinks. I will rescue people this way. When people hear this story and say yes to me, when they bow by taking me, when they surrender to me, when they accept the gift of salvation, if they believe, that's how I will save them. I mean, if you're, if you're a parent, only people who are not parents would buy this thought. Well, it's Jesus, but also this other way is acceptable to God either way. No, only parents don't believe that. What parent would offer their son to be tortured and die for people who hate them if there was another option? Not sane parents. The reason Jesus went to the cross is God the Father says there's no other way, no other rule, not baptism, not good works, not Ten Commandments, no, nothing you can do to be right. The only hope is, son, you got to take their place. Parents understand that. The death of Christ shows you no other way. No hope. So back in Blue Springs, I mean, I, I remember being there. I was praying. And I had thought about receiving Christ before. I mean, I kind of got this sense that maybe I'd received Christ. Maybe I hadn't. I started to be pretty sure I hadn't done it before. My head was bowed. And he said, hey, right now, raise your hand. Anybody? Raise your hand. Who'll be first? Raise your hand. Who would like to know for sure Jesus is Lord? Who wants to receive him? And my arm felt a thousand pounds. I wanted to raise it. I'd thought about it before. I wanted to get from here to here. It was a battle going on. My will, uh, the struggle, spiritual warfare, whatever you call it. And I finally, something in me broke or surrendered. And I raised my hand and tears came down my face. And uh, I went back 
in this back room, this guy opened the Bible. I had question after question. An hour went by. He, he finally said, dude, you know, hey, his name is Jim. I'll answer Bible questions all day long. I'll show you what you can see. But would you like to do this thing? I mean, you came back to receive Jesus. Is it time? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and I'm not a crier. I'm like, what has gotten into me? Some people feel stuff. Some people don't feel stuff. And I prayed to surrender to Jesus. And everything changed. Wouldn't it be horrible to be God and to offer your son to people who hate you and yet you love them and then to finally get to this moment when they hear the story and God's like, yeah, I love them. Tell them I love them. Just surrender to me and get to that moment and somebody goes, "Uh, nah, we good. I'll do it on my own. It's time for you to receive Jesus. He loves you so much. He got you to this moment. And it's never made sense to you. God's not made sense. Jesus not made sense. The cross not make sense. The resurrection. But now it makes sense. It's time. Would you receive Jesus right now? Let's bow our heads. Jesus, we come to you right now. We beg you on behalf of those everywhere who need to receive you right now. You love them so much. You have a plan for their lives. You created them. You have a dream for them. You have hope for them as any good parent does. And you saw the hopelessness of their situation. You sent your son to take their place. God, I pray. You would do an amazing work in people's hearts right now, that they would do what I did at the age of 19. They would pray by faith, receive Jesus, and surrender control of their lives to you. We pray this. Our heads are bowed. If you've received Jesus, would you pray for those near you or those all around the world who need Jesus right now? Pray for them. If you'd like to make sure whether you've received Jesus or not, now's the time. I beg you, do what I did and pray and surrender to Jesus. Pray something like this right now. Pray, dear Jesus, right now, I receive you. Pray that. Jesus, I receive you as my Savior. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for paying for my sins. And then say, Jesus, I surrender to you. I give my life to you. I declare you my Lord, my leader. I am yours, Jesus, in this moment, by faith in your death and resurrection. I accept you and surrender to you right now. Lord Jesus, we ask this in your name. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you have questions or would like to contact us for prayer, please email us at info at visitgracechurch.com. For more information about our ministries, location, and service times, go to visitgracechurch.com.